0: wing a.m. And just like that, it's July. You blink your eyes and another month goes by. And I actually mean that, especially about June. I, I Every time we start talking about how bad this year has been, I always start be, you know, thinking about like you would think that this year would just be dragging. Maybe for some it is. And I know they say time flies when you're having fun. I can assure you we are not having fun in 2020. But for whatever reason, time is flying. And we're hoping that funner times are ahead. I hope you've had a great day. You too, Kev. Uh, and
1: uh, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. How are you? you? You got called to the bullpen, which is completely yeah. Fine. yeah they're calling
0: the the righty. All right. So maybe uh, I'll be back. Maybe, maybe not. Will. All right. So that might be the first or the last that you hear of Kevin Nash today. Again, trying to juggle eighty different things. That's what happens when there's only two people in this building. So that's what we got to do. But. Lots to get into today. We're going to open up with the Justin Kinder Show top headlines. We're going to get into uh, the over the last decade. ESPN ranked the college football programs, and they did like, a, like an AP poll type of ranking uh, based on the combined wins and losses and games and efforts over the last ten years. Ohio State not number one. Some are com- they're concerned about that. They're upset about it. I don't know why. And at six again two one zero nine six seven six. Save that number in your phone because that's the best way to get in touch with the show throughout the afternoon and, heck, even outside of show times. you—I mean People text us all day. We're constantly texting back and forth with listeners, fans of the show all the time, always having a blast. So make sure you take advantage of that one more time. ESPN Dayton Fan Hotline, 210-9676. All right, folks, let's have some fun. Let's get things started with the Justin Kenner Show Top Headlines.
2: It's the Justin Kinner Show's top headlines.
0: All right, I mentioned the uh, the Division three school that has officially pulled the plug on the fall sports season. That Division three school is Grinnell. Never heard of them until I read the article earlier today. I don't think many of you have heard of them either. But Division Three school Grinnell cancels football and all of their fall sports over the coronavirus concerns. Now, this is interesting because this is also the same school that over a year ago, back, uh, you know, over a year ago, canceled their entire football season last fall due to injuries plaguing their roster and uh, not having enough guys to field a team. So th- this is a, a program, this is a university that's obviously very quick to pull the plug. I know it's Division Three sources are scarce. I mean, we can't really have a conversation about a Division 2 II or 3 school in the same light that we do a Division 1 school. Hell, some Division 1 schools struggle to sit at the adult table half the time. So, you would have to you know, so I'm not going to hold that light over a Division 3, but it's interesting that they're pulling the plug so quickly. I know that a lot of people are freaking out right now uh, about right now this coronavirus and you should you should take it serious um, but I think that there might be a slight overreaction to the players who are testing positive mainly because we knew this was going to happen I think that right now we're still getting used to opening the newspaper, whoever the hell opens a newspaper, we're still getting used to opening up Twitter on our phones and uh, noticing that oh man, another set of players got you know tested positive at this school, this pro athlete it's testing positive here. Uh, this school over here is pulling the plug completely, and not just one sport, but all their fall sports. So, I think we're going to get to a point that once you once you just get sports started. I know there's a lot of people out there who are looking at all the negative ways that it's going to impact it, but once you get it started, I think that. Just like everything we do as humans, we adapt and we'll make some changes along the way. I think sports will be okay. I just think that, again, it's the, the toughest part is deciding of when to start. We're close in baseball. We now know when, I mean, today players are reporting to camp. We now know opening day will be July 23rd or 24th, okay? We know that the NBA is coming back at the end of the month. The NFL... I mean, it was announced that they're supposed to open up camp on time. So it's like right now those are the plans. But until I actually see a team out on the field, um, that, that's going to be my concern. Until I see that, I'm not going to have confidence that we're going to be able to get to that point. But I do believe once a season starts in any pro sport that we will be, I shouldn't say fine, but I think sports will be okay. I think once you see someone else do it, it's easier to replicate it. And we'll see what happens. But again, Division Three Grinnell cancels football in all of their fall sports over the coronavirus concerns. On to the next one. How about UConn officially rejoining the Big East after a seven-year absence? They were previously in the Big East from 1979 to 2013, um, obviously a part of the American Conference, uh, leaving after last season. The Huskies are now the 11th member of the Big East, a 12th member coming soon. Conferences don't like odd amounts who could potentially be that 12th member in the Big East. I mean, I know that you know, every time the Big East gets mentioned, certain chunk of Flyer fans like to jump all over that. I'm not against it. I think it's a long shot, but who knows? You never know what could happen. You look at the success of the program for UD, not just last season, but over the span especially of this last decade, a, a program that's rich in history and success, You can't sit there and say that there's not a path to get there, but there's a lot of loopholes, there's a lot of uh, uh, potholes that they would have to kind of bounce over to be able to get there. So we'll see what happens with that as far as that's concerned. The Orlando bubble that the NBA 2019 2020 season will be wrapping up in is going to cost the NBA more than $150 million. I mean, that is insane. So $150 million for three months. All right? That $150 million is going to cover uh, the housing for 22 teams plus support staff at three different resorts. They have over seven practice courts and facilities that players are going to be utilizing in, in teams. And they will be playing games across three different arenas. I mean, $150 million for three months of basketball just to crown a champion, call it a season, and then a month later open up camp for 2020-2021. Man, we know that things are weird during this coronavirus pandemic, but this it doesn't get any weirder than this one. The NBA has done a fantastic job of, of creating as safe an environment as possible to be able to allow the players to finish their season. But this is going to be interesting. But $150 million, that's what it's going to cost the NBA to run the Orlando bubble for three months. How about this? More NBA news. Pelican star Zion Williams is one of three different players to grace the NBA 2K21 cover. He is the cover athlete for the Next Generation Systems PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series 10. The third player is going to be announced on Thursday. Look, we only got to watch Zion play for half of a half a season. Like, he didn't play the first half. Uh, We just got a glimpse of what he's capable of over the last month and a half before COVID shut things down back in March. We're definitely not overreacting. I know the kid's super talented. I know he's going to be a star in the league. But is he face of the video game level yet? Is he there yet? The NBA is desperate to find that next star. And uh, I think that, you know, with LeBron James, 17 years in the league, I don't think he's anywhere close to being done. And what I mean by that is I still think he has two to three years left but they're still looking for that next guy that's going to take over. I mean, look, while Kobe was still dominating the league, LeBron had emerged as a star, but the NBA knew that when Kobe left the game that they would be in good hands as LeBron was the face of the league. When LeBron caused quits, I don't know who the face of the NBA is. All right, it's not Kevin Durant. Some might say it is. I don't look at Kevin Durant as the face of the NBA. I Maybe Steph Curry? Not James Harden. Giannis Antetokounmpo might win his second straight MVP coming up. I don't know. Whoever the face of the NBA is, it's not an easy choice. The NBA has definitely benefited over the last 20, 30 years of knowing that next man up or who that next guy up is going to be. All right, you knew after Larry Bird it was going to be Magic, and after Magic it was going to be Michael, and after Michael, uh, you know, you, you were in good hands with Kobe slash Shaq, but more so Kobe, and then Kobe to LeBron. Right now, LeBron leaves. I don't know who that next guy is, but it's obvious that after one year, not even one full year in the league, not even one full half season in the league, the NBA is looking at Zion as the next face that runs the place, and they're putting a lot of confidence and faith into the marketability of Zion Williams. Interesting as far as that goes. And last but not least here on the Justin Kinner Show top headlines, Mac Brown one-ups Ryan Day and the Buckeyes. How about this? We all talk about the Buckeyes being DBU, uh, but North Carolina and Mac Brown, they land cornerback Tony Grimes, who was ESPN's number six prospect. This is the Tar Heels' second five-star commitment to the class of 2021. Grimes picked North Carolina over Ohio State, Georgia, and Texas A&M. Picking him over Texas A&M is not shocking. Picking him over Georgia it's a little shocking because it is North Carolina. But the fact that North Carolina and Mac Brown, that they were able to go in there and swoop in and compete against Ryan Day and Ohio State and DBU and, and convince Tony Grimes to come play at North Carolina, a, a school that doesn't have a brand rich in football, good for Mac Brown. I tell you what, I'm not a North Carolina football fan, but I am a Mac Brown fan. And I can't tell you how impressed I am with the job that at his age, with everything working against folks his age right now because of the restrictions with the coronavirus and everything, that man is getting it done. He is absolutely getting it done. And uh, we'll see. I don't think it's going to I don't know how good North Carolina is going to be this year, but he has set this program up to kind of take that next step. Over the next couple of seasons, look out for North Carolina because I keep looking at the ACC and trying to figure out who exactly is going to contend with Clemson over the next couple of years. It doesn't look good. There's no one else that's really stepping up. Depending on how long Mac Brown stays the head coach of the Tar Heels, it could be North Carolina that could end up being that 1A and 1B type of situation. They have a long way to go. It's still Clemson's division and uh, conference. But man, good for Mac Brown and good for the Tar Heels. And that is the Justin Kinner Show. Top headlines. Alright, again, if you want to text into the show and take advantage of the ESPN Dayton fan hotline, you can do so now. ESPN Dayton Fan Hotline. 210-9676. That's the number that you will give the show a text. Kevin, uh, he got called out of the bullpen. He had to run and take care of something quick. He will join us at some point throughout the next three hours. Uh, But until then, we will just be interacting with you, the listeners, through our text line. Um, And when he comes back, we will have the phone lines back open. So one more time, text the show 210-9676. Put a 937 in front of that if you're outside of the area. All right, lots to get into. Let's talk a little Cleveland Browns, shall we? Odell Beckham Jr., he shuts down rumors, floating rumors of him potentially joining the New England Patriots. Not that he has the choice to join the New England Patriots, but we have heard for a while that, hey, look, that there's been lots of rumors circulating that OBJ really doesn't need to be in Cleveland. I think that Cleveland is taking a look at what they have and saying, hey, let's go all in in 2020. We're going to discuss the likelihood of OBJ remaining in Cleveland for the rest of the season. We'll get to all that next. More of the Justin Kinner Show when we come back.
2: Ethan Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Back to the famous WING studios. Here's Justin Kinner and Kev Nash.
0: Justin Kinner with you here. It's the Justin Kinner show on 1410 ESPN radio. Hope all of you are having a great day. I appreciate you hanging out with us here. Kev will be joining us coming up at some point. Again, he got caught out of the bullpen. He has a lot of things he's taking care of outside of here. He'll be back coming up in just a little bit. Okay, um, so remember about a week, two weeks ago, you had OBJ. You had OBJ and uh Cam Newton working out. And right away, it started leading to some speculation that the Browns need to go after Cam Newton. And in fact, it never really got to that point, at least from a heavy media standpoint, from a heavy coverage in the media as far as that's concerned. But, along the way, of course, after Cam Newton signed with the Patriots, there was a report that came out from Bleacher Report that there was only one other team that actually spoke with Cam Newton, and that was the Cleveland Browns. We dissected what that meant the other day in regards to what that meant for Baker mayfield. you know does that, uh, the, Does that signal to Baker mayfield the, the Cleveland Browns you know talking to Cam Newton after having Baker Mayfield as their starter, signing an 18 million dollar three year deal with a backup quarterback. Uh, you know, in settling that early in the off season with Case Keenum, the fact that they're talking to Cam Newton—I mean, there's just a lot of moving parts signaling that hey, maybe the Browns are not sold on Baker Mayfield. And you could insert your joke and laugh and all that stuff. Have some fun. That's great. However. There's more to that because we were at a situation where it was with Cam Newton working out with OBJ. We started talking about what that meant for the Browns. Well, Cam Newton going to the New England Patriots. Oh, well, then it doesn't mean anything for the Cleveland Browns. However, I believe there's still a Browns connection here. I believe that the friendship and the uh, both sides working out together does signal that they are comfortable playing with one another, that they would probably like to play together at some point And let's be honest, if you look at the wide receiving core for the Cleveland Browns, it's not as if that that's their weakness. In fact, that's actually one of their biggest strengths, is their their playmaking ability at wide receiver. Now, I say that because the ironic part of that is the fact that the Cleveland Browns actually led the league in dropped catches last year. But I promise you, it's one of the most uh, complete wide receiving cores in football, especially when you add in the playmaking ability of the tight ends, and then, of course, the playmaking ability and catchmaking ability out of the backfield with their running backs. So, this is a very strong team as far as that's concerned. Now, who cares about the Cleveland Browns as far as that's concerned? But they could afford to lose OBJ if it's necessary. We've said for a long time now that if you are a team, I mean, think about who was the last team that won a Super Bowl that had an elite wide receiver. And you think about the best wide receivers in football, the teams winning Super Bowls, they're not really boasting many of them. I mean, you looked at uh, the last couple years, the drama that surrounded the Pittsburgh Steelers. Why did that surround the Pittsburgh Steelers? A diva wide receiver and Antonio Brown. All right, you look at the the uh, drama that surrounded the new the New York Giants with OBJ, diva wide receiver, not a good team. All right, you lo- you look at the you know the New England Patriots, they didn't have a diva wide receiver. Now they did have Antonio Brown for a very little bit, but hey, you know what? They never went on to win the Super Bowl that season. So who cares? You don't need an elite wide receiver to win a Super Bowl, and I, I let me paraphrase that: you don't need a max contract wide receiver to win a Super Bowl. In fact, if anything, history shows that. You don't win Super Bowls with max contract wide receivers, and you don't win Super Bowls with max contract quarterbacks. Uh, there's a reason that teams are going all in in the first four years of drafting a guy because they get to allocate their dollars elsewhere. They get to draft to Baker Mayfield, and they get to overspend on a receiver. They get to overspend on two receivers, Jarvis Landry, OBJ. They get to take a tight end in Hooper that really is one of the best tight ends in football. Maybe no one else would have made him the highest tight end, uh, highest paid tight end in football, but the Browns could because they had the money to do so. Why? because they don't have their money invested in the quarterback. So when we talked about OBJ and Cam Newton potentially pairing up in Cleveland, just because Cam Newton goes to New England doesn't mean that those two pairing up together can't happen. I think that there's a good chance that it does happen. I don't think that it happens this season. I think that the Cleveland Browns, knowing that they're about to begin the negotiation process for a lot of their superstar young talent that they have, they're going to have to start having conversations with Nick Chubb here in the near future. They've already started the early negotiation talks with, of course, elite pass rusher uh, in Miles Garrett. And then if Baker does have the year that he's expected to have, then guess what? They're going to have to really find a way to sit down with him and work out a deal here in the next year or two anyways. So, that OBJ contract, it's not needed. You can If Baker is as good as what he is supposed to be, you don't need to have an OBJ on the roster to get the most out of him. A lot of times, if you're trying to overcompensate with elite wide receiver play to get the most out of your quarterback, you're trying a little bit too hard. Because you look at some of the best quarterbacks in the league... They usually do more with less. You look at Russell Wilson. You look at Tom Brady. You look at what, I mean, heck, even Carson Wentz went healthy. Look what he's able to do. Nick Foles was able to win a Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl MVP with very good wide receiver talent. Not elite wide receiver talent, very good. If Jarvis, you could win, the Browns could win a lot of games with Jarvis Landry as their best wide receiver. You don't have to have OBJ, but I'm completely fine with the Browns going all in this year because they financially can Having OBJ on this roster from a financial standpoint has kept the Cleveland Browns from being able to address other issues on the roster. I would be mad if this team desperately needed an offensive line, but they're dumping all their money into a receiver. They fine-tuned their offensive line. They have a good pass rush. They're looking to add even more to that pass rush. All right? They're secondary. They seem okay with it. I, I'm questionable on it. They need help at linebacker. But overall... The fact that they've been able to financially go all in on a lot of positions out on the field to help their quarterback, who is not being paid that much, I have no problem with it. But when you have to start paying other positions, you have to start prioritizing wide receiver towards the bottom. The same thing. With the running back, I think you can get running backs anywhere. All right, we talked about it. I think we over—I think the most overrated stat in all of sports, honestly, is the oh man, he's a thousand yard back. We talked about this. Me and Kev talked about it yesterday. I—I I mean, if you can't rush for sixty yards a game or forty yards a game or whatever it is, if you can't rush for forty to fifty yards a game, then you're not even a good running back, anyways. You don't have to rush for a hundred yards a game to get a thousand. So, do you need Nick Chubb? Yes, he absolutely makes you better, but there's a lot of Nick Chubbs out there. Is, he, is there a lot of dominant players like Nick Chubb out there? No, but you don't need a dominant running back to be a good football team. You could win a Super Bowl with the Sonny Michelle. You could win a Super Bowl with backs like that. You don't have to have an elite. Like Heck, I mean, look at Derrick Henry and the Titans. He made them interesting. He he was a strong weapon for their offense, but it's not like he was going to lead them to a Super Bowl. You don't need a dominant running back. You just need a solid running game. You don't need a dominant running back, and you don't need a flashy elite Receiver to win a Super Bowl when it comes to prioritizing where you put your money. So when that time comes, here in about a year, the Browns aren't going to be sitting on this OBJ contract long. The only way OBJ is a Cleveland Brown in 2021 is if the Browns make the playoffs, make a playoff run, or win a Super Bowl in 2020. And many of you are rolling your eyes. You're mocking that theory, but it's true. The only way that the Cleveland Browns have OBJ in 2021 is if they do something in 2020 that is showing them that, man, we got to keep this group together for one more year. But if they struggle, you can lose with them and you can lose without them. I think OBJ does end up with Cam Newton. I think OBJ does end up with the New England Patriots. I think that that is going to be the little tandem that all of a sudden elevates the Patriots at some point once again. I do not believe that the Patriots are going to unload a ton of money to be able to keep Cam Newton, but I think that they would be interested enough, especially if they are able to acquire an OBJ. That would be the most talented group outside of that Brady Moss era that Bill Belichick has had, at least if, as long as Cam Newton is healthy, of course. Now, I'll take Tom Brady at his best over Cam Newton at his best any day because, again, when I say that, I mean from a talent perspective, Cam Newton is probably more skillful. Uh, he, you know, he, He's more versatile. Uh, he can make more plays with his legs. He could do a lot more than Tom Brady, but I don't think anyone out there would ever pick Cam Newton over Tom Brady, even on his best day. So, four five seven nine four six four, or, of course, you could text into the show using the ESPN Dayton fan hotline, Dicks. Do you believe OBJ sticks with the Browns past 2020? He, of course, struck down the, you know, he said he had some unfinished business. He said that he does not want to go anywhere. He wants to remain in Cleveland. That may not be up to him. It used to be that we were like, oh, man, hopefully the star wants to stay in Cleveland. I don't think Cleveland wants the star. I think they're willing to keep the star for one year because, A, they can afford him, and, B, they want to see just how much of his dominance can rub off on Baker Mayfield and potentially lead to a pretty good season. If that doesn't happen, he's as good as gone. Do you believe, though, that he's going to be traded by the deadline or that they'll keep him for a full season? We'll pick up with your calls. We are going to open up the phone lines. 457-9464. Your calls, your reaction, Browns fans. When we come back, don't go anywhere.
2: The Kidders Show on 1410 ESPN Radio and on the stream at wingam.com.
0: It's the TBT on W-I-N-G. That's right, thebasket.com. You'll be able to find their schedule, uh, which I'll give you now, too. But uh, the fun part is, is myself and Norm Greavy, former Flyer, we will be calling all of the Red Scare games throughout the tournament, starting with their matchup on July 8th, their first matchup in the TBT. It's a 2 p.m. tip. Uh, they'll take on the winner between Big X and Jackson, Tennessee, underdogs. So uh, Norm Greavy and I will have the call for the 2 p.m. tip-off next Wednesday. Uh, the July 8th game against uh, again the winner of that matchup and if they win that matchup they will go on to most likely take on Carmen's crew in a rematch from last year again last year was the first year that the Red Scare was in the TBT and they got knocked out by Carmen's crew who would ultimately go on to win their first TBT championship so we're excited to be a, uh, be a part of this and uh, we'll be bringing you Dayton Flyers Red Scare basketball as well as Carmen's crew Ohio State basketball uh, right here on 1410 ESPN Radio the TBT on WING, and we're super excited about that. So, interesting. I'm kind of scrolling through here on social media, and I come across an article. Rick Pitino back in the news, and don't worry. He didn't do anything wrong yet. Uh, Rick Pitino, Hall of Fame coach Rick Pitino, uh, caused for the college basketball season to be pushed back to January now, a lot of you out there probably aren't big fans of Rick Pitino, and that's completely okay. Um, you know, he might be looked at and viewed at as one of the slime balls within coaching in college basketball. Uh, my thing is, is show me a coach that doesn't cheat, and I'll change my mind. But until then, every coach cheats in one way or another. Some just do it at more severe levels than others. Hence, Rick Pitino. But he's back in, uh, back on the sidelines in college basketball, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do uh, as far as that's concerned. Now. He brings up a good point. We have spent so much time talking about football that we keep forgetting that when football tips or kicks off, basketball doesn't tip off far too long after that. In fact, you know, a couple of weeks into the football season is when practices for basketball begin. Um, and we'll be, start to have the same conversations about basketball that we do about football. Now, normally, I am not a fan of the delay approach. I feel like when you delay anything, you're just taking your problems now and pushing them back to a later date, at least when it comes to the coronavirus. Uh, The NBA, their last game was on March 11th. They said, hey, let's take some time off and we'll come back later and play. And to be honest with you, I think that the conditions are worse that they're going to be playing in in the end of July than what they were back in March. You know what I mean? Like like the NBA put the season on pause so that they can let the virus kind of do its thing and get to know more about it so that they can come back. And now they do know more about it, which is why they spent $150 million to bring you three months of basketball and not even three months of the entire league. It's three months of, well, the teams that people care about. So I guess that's important. But the point is, is that you paused the season back in March, hoping that when you resumed, it would be brighter days and you can argue that it's darker days uh i think it's just as gloomy if not gloomier heading in to the you know heading into the next couple weeks to get to the end of july than when it was back in march it was new back in march but we canceled an entire season because one player tested positive now we have many now we have many so when hall of fame coach rick patino calls for college basketball and the season to start uh, to, to be pushed back to january This I kind of agree with to a certain extent, mainly because we all know that non-conference basketball is pointless anyways. It's pointless for a lot of programs. How many non-conference games do the Dayton Flyers actually play? They play quite a few. Let me ask you how many of those actually matter. How many of those actually help the resume of the Dayton Flyers? Last year, there wasn't one single game of relevancy on their home floor in the non conference, and we're not taking a shot at them. It's just the reality of it. They didn't play one meaningful game on their home floor as far as non conference is concerned. And I, to be honest, they didn't play any true road game to begin with in the non conference. All of their meaningful games came in those, obviously, you know, uh, you know, going and playing in Maui and the invitationals and things along those lines. But outside, I mean, when you're a team like Dayton, you kind of need the non conference to help pad your resume. I completely get it. But the NCAA they don't make rules to benefit the dayton flyers of the world. You know what I mean? Like they they're not trying to come up with ways that are going to benefit mid majors. They are and they're trying to come up with ways to benefit the high majors, the true money makers. And UD is a true money maker. It's just they play in the A10 so they're not going to get the respect that they actually deserve from a national perspective. I think that's what that basically comes down to. That's not a dig. I think that's just common sense and the people that get offended by that, I don't know what to tell you. That's just the reality of it. Um, I think that people that disrespect UD, it's more- more of the conference that they play in and not the who they are as a program because I think even the biggest UD haters in the world like VCU fans and Davidson fans, they can't sit there and argue uh, the, the historical relevance of the program that goes back decades and decades and not just an elite eight run and being ranked number three in the country last year. But when college basketball is making rules and they're making adjustments, it's not to benefit the UDs of the world. It's to benefit the high majors. It's to benefit the NCAA tournament. You, I, I promise you, we are talking as if the NCAA is doing everything they can to get, the co- to get the college football season in. I think that they are going to work ten times even harder to get the college basketball season in, to get the NCAA tournament in. There is no way. Can you imagine, folks? I mean, I, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that we did not have March Madness this year. If there's a good chance with the way things are trending right now, that there could be, we can go two seasons in a row without March Madness. There's a good chance that that could happen. And I think basketball knows it. And I think that's why this suggestion right here makes a lot of sense. I brought up the non-conference because I think it's pointless. It's pointless in the big picture, in the big scheme of things. Not having a non-conference season would really hurt a team like UD. Because UD needs to have a couple of those resume-building wins in the non-conference to help pad what they do in the A-10. Because you're at the mercy of your conference at that point. Like, UD could be one of the top ten teams in the country, but if they only have to play within their conference, they may not get that that luxury of being viewed that way it took playing in maui last year and by the way they were going to be discovered no matter what that ud team was so damn good last year there was no way that team was going to get overlooked but it took the the big matchups in the non-conference to really put them on the map so that when they were playing the nobodies in the a10 that people were able to deflect who the nobodies were because they were just focused on who the flyers were and they bought into who the flyers were because of what they saw in the non-conference so if they get rid of the non-conference yes it does impact the dayton Flyers. Yes, it does impact the A-10 teams, but let's be real. Big picture, the NCAA, they don't care about the A-10. They don't care about the mid-major schools. They don't care about that. They care about, let's push the season back to January. Let's tip off just within your conference. Let's get a field put together. Let's get your conference champions. Let's get in March Madness put in, and let's go. That's all they care about. And to be honest, no, no non-conference hurts UD. It does not do them any favors. It takes opportunities away to put them on the map. Again, like I said last year, UD was going to be noticed no matter what because of the job that Anthony Grant did and how good Obi Toppin was. They were going to be noticed no matter what, but they needed the non-conference to get the world's attention first. All right, they they needed that. So if that gets taken away, that hurts programs like UD. But the problem is, is that the NCAA is not going to make a decision to help the A10. They're going to make a decision that's going to be for the better of the entire college basketball universe. Which is, we got to find something that makes sense. And what makes sense right now is to tip off in January. You play within your conference only, and go from there. But when Rick Pitino says that you know, he wants to get back on the sidelines as quickly as possible, but also knows the impact of you know what starting too early can do. You know, you don't want to start too early and have the plug pulled on the season. I uh, completely agree with him um, as far as that's concerned. I'm going to be keeping my eye on this because while all the eyes and while all the attention is on college football, and as it should be for right now, college basketball, its uh, right now, the talk has to start right now as to what's going to happen with that. And a lot of people are like, oh, I don't care about college basketball. I just care about football. I have a hard time believing that this area, with as much as you people love your UD Flyers, I have a hard time believing that you have not been thinking about this on a regular basis. Some of you can't even stomach the thought of what happened towards the end of last season. Some of you have not gotten over the fact that the season was just yanked out from underneath you with no warning whatsoever. I mean, I mean we went from celebrating game day being in town to mourning the no NCAA tournament appearance to the Flyers. I mean, it, a lot happened in a very quick amount of time. And I'm sure a lot of you are just trying to not think about college basketball, but it's time to start thinking about college basketball again because as painful as that was, it could get more painful. There could be no basketball in 2020, 2021. I don't anticipate that, but what I do anticipate is I wouldn't force the non-conference on the college basketball season. I don't want to see the non-conference happen this year. I think it makes a lot of sense to let football own it through November I don't know what they're going to do as far as bowl games are concerned, but you know they're going to try and get the college football playoff in because that is the most important thing as far as that's concerned because that's how you crown your champion. So let football and let the college football athletes be the ones moving all over the place, traveling all over the place. Let them get that season out of the way and then let football, basketball hit the ground running. I don't want to hear about, oh, we'll just schedule games close within your non-conference. None of that. I don't want any of that. I don't even care if that means a potential Wright State-UD matchup, which let's be honest, the chances of that happening are so damn slim. But if it meant that matchup happening this year, I would still say I don't want it to happen this year because I don't want there to be a season this year. I don't want want there to be a non-conference season this year. A-10 should tip off in january the horizon should tip off in january all right the you know the acc all right the big 10 everyone everyone should tip off in january play the games that matter don't risk having the season canceled by playing in some pointless non-conference game that means absolutely nothing however there is a business side to this this is why as i think in my head and i literally have arguments internally as i talk sometimes because i'm like i start to make all these points and then i'm like yeah but what about this what about this well i just had one of those moments what about this what if you are a university like Wright state who is struggling financially from you know from a athletic standpoint again i'm not talking about the the school as a whole you know people i mean that's people's dig all the time if you bring up Wright state oh how do they handle money i don't care what i mean look the you know, the academic side the one that jumbled that all up. You know, athletics has done more with less, more than anyone else in their conference in most schools around here. So I don't want to hear about that. The bottom line is, is that they had to cut how many programs to fall below the D1 limit? They need money. They need resources. So it's very important for a school like Wright State to have a non-conference so that you could probably go to Ohio State, get your money, get beat up a little bit, you know, and keep doing that, you know, rinse and repeat. Some programs need those buy games to be able to kind of recover financially from everything that's going on due to the coronavirus. Keep an eye on that. I don't know which side of that's going to win. No non-conference tip-off in January, conference games only. Or are they going to have a non-conference so that the smaller schools can at least be able to go out and make up their money somehow, some way. But like I said earlier, the NCAA, they are not making rules They are not making changes based on the small schools. They are going to do what's best for the college basketball world as a whole, big picture. It's going to be interesting to see how that is channeled moving forward. But this is a quote, again, from Rick Pitino. He goes, suggestion to the NCAA, push the start to the season back to January and only play league games. Buy some more time for a vaccine and to get things under control. I don't like when people say things like that. We need more time for a vaccine. Do you think that the second that the vaccine's ready, that all of a sudden the whole world is healed all of a sudden? Do you realize how many, like, the first strain that's going to come out, how effective that's going to be? You're still going to have to learn more about it. Uh, you know, we don't know. You know what I mean? Like, in you know how many people are in this world that are going to be lining up to get that? There's going to be some that don't care, who have not respected this virus from the time it came out back in March. That by the way, anyone that has bad mouthed the virus and said that it's no big deal. And it's just a flu. I think that the government should go find every single one of your Facebook posts and make you stand in the back of the line and wait to get your shot whenever that time comes. I'm joking, but you know, I do find that pretty ironic that the people that mock the virus are going to be the first ones lining up to get their vaccine uh, when that time comes. But when you say, Oh, we got to wait for a vaccine. Well, you act like if a vaccine comes out in December or January, that all of a sudden by the end of January everything's just going to be a okay. It's going to take time. It's going to take a little bit, and that's what I'm concerned about. Time is not on the side of anybody right now. Like this is why I'm still concerned about the 2020-2021 college basketball season. I think that the I think there's a better chance of getting the football season in more than basketball, and that's not because football is more important than basketball. It's just because the timing of everything, all the effort and time that goes into putting on the football season, I don't believe enough time and energy and focus has been put in to making sure that we get a basketball season in. And that would be devastating to a school like UD who's a basketball school, right? State's a basketball school. These schools, I don't have football. Well, I mean, UD has football. You don't, no disrespect to them, but you know what I mean. They're, all their resources, time, and efforts are put into that basketball program, and rightfully so. That's their cash cow. I, don't, don't mess with it. You know, Build on it, and that's what they've done. So this is going to be an interesting journey. But again, Rick Pitino goes on to say, buy some more time for a vaccine and to get things under control. Although I can't wait to be back on the sidelines. The health of my players and staff is what's really important. Patino is not the first to suggest, again, that basketball schedule might need to be altered due to the virus. Uh, I mean, you look at, you know, the most recent interview that Mark Emmert did, NCAA president, who I'm not a huge fan of at all. uh, He suggested that the season could actually begin early and played with fewer games. So that's like a total opposite approach. And by the way, there's no way the season's starting early. It's already gonna be July. Uh there's no I mean it's already gonna be July. I mean it, not gonna be July. Crap, it is July. <laughs> it's July first. It's July first. We could officially start saying camp opens up next month. It's a great month. You know? Things are time is moving fast. I talked about that earlier. You would think that this year would just be dragging, and it is flying. And it's flying because there's a lot of deadlines and there's a lot of time that you're trying to make up for and trying to make decisions, and things aren't moving at the pace that we want as far as the virus is concerned. All right, it's the Justin Kenner Show live here on Dayton's ESPN Radio. We'll have uh, Kev Nash brings you over under coming up later on in the show. We opened up with the top headlines. We'll get back into that coming up later on in the program as well. We're going to get into Ohio State and where they rank over the last decade. Again, ESPN ranked all of the college football programs. Uh, take they They, again, used all of their wins, all of their losses, their strength of schedule. They put everything into making this list as if they would be ranking these teams for the college football playoff. Very interesting. Ohio State fans not happy with where the Buckeyes ended up in this ranking. I'm going to tell you why I think that's actually right where uh, they should be, and that's not me taking a shot at Ohio State. I just think that's called using common sense. I, I say that a lot on this show. We'll get more into the Big Ten All Decade team again. We talked about the first team yesterday. No Zeke. I thought that was disrespectful to him and J.K. Dobbins, but there is some representation from them as they re- as they released the All Decade second team. I don't think you need an All Decade second team. But that's where we're at as far as that goes. So we talked about the possibility as well of the college basketball season being pushed back to January. But what about high school football? This doesn't involve Ohio quite yet, but Tennessee, they have delayed the start of their high school football season. I don't know if it's their first school to do that, but I have a I, I, you know, the first state and schools to do that, but I have a feeling that they're not going to be the last. That's all coming up in hour two. Don't go anywhere. More the Justin Kinner Show. Next.
2: It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Back to the famous W-I-N-G studios. Here's Justin Kinner and Kev Nash.
0: July 1st, which means that, well, Major League Baseball camps are opening up. Summer camp officially opens up today. Players can begin reporting. The Reds already released their 57-man summer camp roster. Of course, we discussed that with Bobby Nightingale the other day regarding the players, not who were on the list, but who were off. No Derek Dietrich. That still kind of baffles me a little bit, Um, not because I think that he's going to be the key to success in 2020, but he had a good spring. You brought him back for a reason. He showed improvement. I mean he was horrible in the second half of last year. Of course he was battling an injury. He lost all the power that he had in his bet in the first half of the personality. But the thing is it's the Baker Mayfield approach. If you're going to be cocky, you at least all right, you at least need to back it up with some stats, right? You need to back it up uh by winning and by playing at a high level. And that unfortunately is something that Jesse Winker has not done. I mean, the fact that he's able to hit against righties, that's fine, and he can hit against righties at a high level. The problem is, is you are a detriment to your team because everyone's like, oh, he's one of the best hitters on the team. If you are a guy that has to be taken out of a lineup because you can't hit lefties and righties, you're not one of the best hitters on the team. That just means you're really... That's like saying, oh, he's a really good shooter, but he has to be wide open first. Like, no. Good shooters are shooters in ba- like in basketball. Great shooters are guys who could step into their shot, knock down shots. I mean, I'm not saying everyone's great at knocking down contested shots, but you should be able to score and knock down shots within the flow of an offense. You can't have too many limitations and say, well, he's really good, but... He he has to be wide open to knock down a shot, and that's Jesse Winker in baseball. Oh, well, he's really good, but he he can't he he can't be in the game against lefties. What that's kind of a problem, don't you think? Don't you think? Like if the dude could actually swing against lefties, or righties, and lefties, I would. I mean, he would be one of the top players in baseball, no doubt. But when he is that much of a detriment to your team that in a late-game situation with the game on the line, you put Jesse Winker in as a DH and the opposing team says, oh, fine, we'll just go to our bullpen, we'll go to our lefty, that's a problem. He hinders your team. He keeps your team from being able you know, to get through some of those tough moments in games. He's going to cost you games. That's why I'm not a big fan of Jesse Winker. That's why when trade talks were brought up about, well, what p- pieces could you move to be able to acquire some of these bigger names? like We ultimately ended up getting Trevor Bauer, but at the time, what pieces could you have moved to be able to get him? Everyone's like, "Oh, you can't, can't move Winker." The hell you can't move Winker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can you you can. Oh, he's one of the best hitters on the team. No, he's not. He swings a mean bat against righties, and he can't hit lefties. And you're gonna say, "Well, a lot of guys, you know, hit better against right." Yeah, some guys, a lot of guys hit better against righties than lefties, but they can at least still hit the lefties. You don't get it both. I mean, I don't get the love affair with Jesse Winker from defending him. I don't like when fans do that. Stop making excuses. That's why I respect Philly fans. I respect fans who, when you're not good, they let you know. And everyone's like, oh, they're just ungrateful. No. They just hold you to a high standard. That's why Buckeye fans get on my nerves whenever the team doesn't play well or if Urban wasn't coaching well or if Urban you know, didn't have the team prepared for certain games. And I pointed that out. I was the bad guy, even though I thought common sense was, hey, coaches are supposed to have their team and their guys ready to go every night. People get mad. Fans have to stop doing that thing where they are always looking for the good in their team. I'm not saying you have to be a negative Nancy all the time, but use, you know, use common sense. Jesse Winker does swing a very good bat against righties. But it's not what he does that's going to help the team. It's what he doesn't do that's going to cost the team games. And keep in mind, when you have deficiencies like that, that's going to hurt you even more in a 60-game season when the margin for error is so slim. You don't have time for slow starts. You don't have time for, well, why don't you leave Winker in the game against lefties so he kind of can get used to going up against lefties. You have 60 games, folks. You have 60 games to make the playoffs. You don't have time for Jesse Winker to learn along the way how to hit lefties. You I mean that's that's what's so fun about this 2020 season. You are who you are when you start. Any other year, when you get to the final 60 games of the season, a lot of times, keep in mind, like think about that. By the time you get to 60 game when you get to the point in a regular season where you're like, oh man, we only have sixty games left. That means you've played 102 games if my math, you know, does me right, right? Like if my math serves me correctly. That means normally if you are a club and you get to your final 60 games of the season, you are 102 games into the season. You know who you are 100 games into the season. You know who you are as a club 100 games into the season. You know your strengths. You know your weaknesses. You know who you are. You know what you can do. You know what you can't do. So to me, the fact that we don't – I mean, that's the thing, 60 games. When the season starts – You better know who you are. This is a very important spring training or summer camp, whatever they're calling it. Like, I don't think they need to waste time. If there is going to be summer camp games, I think you're not going to see your typical training, your spring training matchups. I think you're going to see these guys out on the field right away. I think you're going to see multiple at-bats during these spring training games from a lot of the star players. (coughs) Excuse me, Rona. But... That's, you know what I mean? Like By the time you get 100 games into the season, you kind of know who you are. You've had time to battle through some stuff. But when you have 60 games left, that's it. No more screwing around. You're no longer trying to figure out who you are. You are who you are. And that's what this season is going to be. The Reds are who they are. They don't have time to figure out who they are going to be. And we know who Jesse Winker is. So when I, I, I saw on social media, someone said, well, he needs to face more lefties so he can get better. You're right. I agree. And when you have 162 games in the season, <clears throat> there it is again, Rona. When you have 162 games in the season, you can give him time to fight through it. But with 60 games, a sprint to the finish line mentality, I'm sorry. I, I mean, you, you don't You don't have time. You don't have time. And I don't want him to be wasting at-bats. Every at-bat is so crucial. In the 60-game sprint to the finish line season, you have expectations. You may not have Trevor Bauer next year. All right, like you, That's the thing that this team needs to highly consider. You're automatically, just based on the way the rosters look right now, you're automatically worse next year because you already don't have Trevor Bauer next year. Sure, you can re-sign him, but you don't know that that's going to happen. So until that happens, you have to go all in for this year. You have to go all in this season, I think that's what the Reds are trying to do. Don't be surprised if they try to make a, you know, a sprint to the finish line type of move, or they make a move for Francisco Lindor, because you have 60 games to figure it out. 60 games to improve yourself. That's why I think it's dumb of teams to wait to the trade deadline with 60 games. Like, if you know that you want Francisco Lindor, if you know that that's who you're going to be targeting again in the off season, go after him now. Don't wait till the trade deadline. Don't wait till August. You know, like don't don't wait till the end of August. A month into the season, that's the month of the season is gone. All right, we'll talk more Reds coming up in a bit. We'll uh, talk with Bobby Nightingale. We'll talk a little Reds with him around the corner. We will also uh, get back into this NFL discussion here coming up around the corner. By the way, if you're wondering what a potential lineup for the Reds could look like, let's say it is against a righty. Speaking of Bobby Nightingale, who we're going to talk to coming up here in a moment. But he put out his lineup today. He said, you know, this is what he envisions the lineup looking like for the Reds against a right-handed pitcher. <coughs> Excuse me. Shogo Akiyama will bat leadoff in left field. Batting second in that first base would be Joey Votto. Batting third and that third base would be Eugenio Suarez. In the cleanup spot in right field would be Nick Castellanos. Mike Mustakis would bat fifth, starting at second base. Batting sixth would be the DH, Jesse Winker. Batting seventh would be Nick Senzel in center field. Freddie Galvis would bat eighth at shortstop, and then Tucker Barnhart would bat ninth. Folks, for those of you out there who are arguing about why you wanted to keep there that you didn't want the DH, if Tucker Barnhart, who by the way hit 290 in the second half of last season, and, again, you don't have time to start slow and, and get hot. You have to be hot to start. Who, whichever team, this isn't about which team is best on paper heading into the season. It's about whatever team starts out hot. Because we've seen bad teams start out slow. You know, or uh, bad teams start out fast. Good teams start out slow. And you always, again, 162 games, you always have time to recover. You don't have time to recover in a 60-game season. But, my goodness, I'll take Tucker Barnhart batting ninth, the guy who hit two ninety last season, in the back half of the season, I should say. You know, if that's your nine-hole hitter, that's pretty good. If Nick Senzel is hitting seventh, that's – you know what I mean? Like, that's pretty good. Nick Senzel's a really good hitter. And even Jesse Winker, as much as I just bashed him – what we do know about him is he can hit against righties. He can hit against righties real well. And if he's batting 6th and 7th and at the bottom of your lineup, the Reds have depth. I love the Reds' lineup. I love that you have to face Shogo Akiyama, Jody Votto, Eugenio Suarez, 1-2-3. All right? And let's say a pitcher gets a 1-2-3 inning to start off. you got to start things right off in the second inning with Castellanos, Moustakis, and Jesse Winker. And let's say that one of those guys gets a hit, guess what? you got Nick Senzel coming up not too long after that. This is a good hitting team, and Freddie Galvis is a 290 hitter as well. I know a lot of people are down on Freddie Galvis, but that's another 290 hitter. That guy can hit the ball. If you have a career guy that's hitting 280, 290, hitting eighth, this is why I love the DH, because Tucker Barnhart's another one. If he's hitting ninth, and I think you could do better, All right, I think that you could be stronger at the DH. I think you could be stronger at the bottom of your order, but the DH doesn't take away strategy. It adds strategy, and we'll get into more of that later. Let's talk with Bobby Nightingale from The Inquired. He joins us next.
2: Back to the Justin Kinner Show on 1410 ESPN Radio and on the stream at wingam.com.
0: We're not that far off from uh, live baseball, Major League Baseball and the Reds opening day. Still no final word on the schedule yet. Opening day should be the 23rd or the 24th. Uh, We talked with Bobby Nightingale about that, about the schedule, and airing our Cincinnati Reds Classic Game of the Week every Friday night at 7 o'clock. We're hoping that this is one of the last couple (laughs) Reds Classics Game of the Weeks that we carry on the station because once the season gets here... We'll be bringing you live baseball. We are the home of the Cincinnati Reds here in Dayton. Every regular season game, hopefully every postseason game that they're in, you will be able to catch right here. But this Friday night, what we hope is one of our final Reds Classics game of the week. Uh, July 3rd, the Cincinnati Reds Classic game of the week will be Pete Rose's record-breaking hit, number 4,192, from the September 11th, 1985 game. Cincinnati Reds player manager Pete Rose... Lines a single to left center in the first inning off of San Diego's Eric Show for his four thousand one hundred and ninety second hit, breaking Ty Cobb's fifty-seven year old major league record for career. Hits So the hit king became the hit king off of that hit. And again, you can catch that this Friday night on Dayton's Home of the Reds, 1410 ESPN Radio. I'm excited to about that as far as that's concerned. Okay, lots to get into still. We'll revert back to some football stuff here in a moment. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more Reds. Again, we know that there was really no talk of any Reds potentially opting out. There's still no word on on other Major League Baseball players who have opted out to this point. But here's our conversation with Bobby Nightingale as we discuss the possibility of Reds players opting out and even the NL Central, because that's key. The Reds and the NL Central will go, you know, 40 games against NL Central opponents. So which NL Central players are potentially opting out? We discussed that with Bobby Nightingale, Reds reporter for the Enquirer. The NL Central as a whole, are there some key players that could play a big role in this if they opt out as well?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, you, you saw the you know the, that you mentioned Mike Leake, Ryan Zimmerman, Joe Ross. I mean, obviously those guys all came out today. I think there's a deadline, either today or tomorrow, where guys do have to tell teams that they're going to opt out. Uh, at this point, what, um, so it has to be I think today or tomorrow. And if they don't do it by then, then they're kind of committed to the season unless something changes. Uh, if, you know, if there's a ton of coronavirus outbreaks or something, that might change things, but. Uh, as of now, the is today or
0: tomorrow. We know how ugly the negotiations got between the Players Association and the league, and obviously from the time that the season, you know, that they announced that, okay, we're going to have a 60-game season, players report to sprint or not spring training, uh, summer camp on, <laughs> on July 1st. Um, it seems like things have died down, and a lot of optimism and excitement is officially back. How excited are you for one, who covers the Reds, that this is no longer a conversation about will there be a season, it's finally about looking at the roster breakdown, and who's going to play where, and who- Who's going to have what role? I'm sure that's uh, a lot of excitement for you as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was almost just like an extended offseason where you just had trouble coming up with things to write about and to talk about. It was just, you know, you can only talk about the negotiations for so long and fans only care for so long. <laughs> I think everyone just got so sick of it after a month or two. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to get back to it. I, I think people understand if, if the season was derailed because of the coronavirus, if the pandemic you know, got worse, and they had to cancel the season that way. But if money got in the way, you know, I think you would have lost a ton of fans
0: that way. Do you see, I mean, again, lots of optimism right now, but, uh, I mean, is there a a doomsday scenario that, you know, this virus can just obviously, you know, decimate the, the regular season? Is there any concern for you at all that once the season starts that there's a chance that it might come to an end and it won't be the anticipation in October that we're anticipating? I mean, yeah, I definitely think there's a chance. I mean,
3: you can tell owners were scared of a second wave. Otherwise, you'd have to postseason go through November. Uh, there's a reason they didn't want to play in November. They want to end it, you know, as early as possible. So they'll stick to the regular October schedule. But that's primarily because of fears of a second wave uh, around the country. And then also, I mean, all it takes is one player who's hospitalized or even worse. Uh, and, you know, people are going to have second thoughts about whether it's even worth it to have a season. Uh, But fortunately, everyone who's tested positive so far
0: has either not shown symptoms or had mild symptoms. All right, we have Bobby Nightingale covers the Cincinnati Reds for the Enquirer. Good enough to join us here on the Justin Kenner Show. The uh, 57-man player pool uh, roster for the Reds for their preseason camp. Uh, A couple names that were noticeably not on the list featured Hunter Green, of course, and uh, Derek Dietrich. Now, obviously, these names, and maybe not so much Hunter Green, but Derek Dietrich could always be added back at a later time. What's the reason for why they're not on there, in your opinion, mainly Derek Dietrich, and why would you bring him back later? What's he doing in the meantime, I guess? Why would he not be preparing for the season as well? Yeah, it's a good question.
3: It's a confusing decision to me as well it's because he does have an opt-out clause in his contract. So he could, you know, choose to become a free agent before the season starts. Uh, I think it's July 18th. Guys with an opt-out clause can request to be released. So, does the, you know, the Reds just chose, I mean, Basically, they're preferring Josh Van Meter over Derek Dietrich and in their infield and some of their other options uh, to play in their infield instead of Dietrich. And uh, you know, he had a good, he was hurt a little bit at the end of last season. The stats were the stats. I mean, he was he wasn't what he was at all in the first half. Uh, but this spring, he looked like his power was back. The results in spring training games weren't great, but uh, he, he looked like in batting practice the Derek Dietrich of old and. Uh, you know, he just looked healthier. So I, I, I thought he had a legitimate chance in spring training, the original spring training, to make the original 26 man roster. Uh, so it surprised me that his name was off it.
0: Well, this team was fairly healthy coming into the original spring training. Eugenio Suarez was the bigger name that, you know, obviously had that, that accident that, of, of course, he, was, he wasn't was sure if he were going to be 100% coming into the season. Obviously, that's not the case now, uh, unless I'm missing something. Are there any behind closed door injuries that the Reds have experienced through this, uh, these, coming, or these previous months that the, the Reds are worried about coming into the summer camp that tips off here in a few days?
3: No, everyone says they're healthy. Nick Bell, Eugenio, Suarez, they say they're 100%. Uh, so they'll be full speed ahead once
0: everyone uh, arrives for their workouts. All right. and Again, I'm, one thing I'm really pumped about this coming up season, too, I don't know where you fall, Bobby, about the, the DH and, and what the, you know, as far as that's concerned, but uh, when you look at the, the role for the DH in the Cincinnati Reds, who is going to be that primary guy, or is this going to be like every other David Bell position with this Reds team? he rotates guys in so many different positions all the time that it's tough to tell who's the primary whatever. Who's going to be the primary DH, uh, in your opinion, for the Reds? I think it'll shuffle a little bit just based
3: off lefty-righty matchups, but I think Jesse Winker is a prime candidate. Uh, You know, he's just not a great defender, but he's a great hitter, especially against right-handed pitching. And also Nick Castellanos, he doesn't have a great defensive reputation, but the fact you can get his bat in the lineup. I I, I could
0: see Cassiano's versus lefties being the DH, and then Winker versus righties being the DH. Bobby, when do you anticipate the schedule uh, to come out? Uh, I mean, should that be something relatively soon, end of the week? Uh, When are are you hearing when that could potentially come out? It might be another week,
3: unfortunately. It's one of those things where since since there's no tickets to sell, uh, you know, Mob can kind of wait a little bit. I mean, the biggest holdup is saying, Say there's an outbreak in Texas, and Texas teams can't play at their home parks. So then they have to, you know, then they have to find a new place to play home games. So I think MLB's waiting just a little bit, just to see how, you know, the cases have spiked up in some states, just to see if they can remain there or if they have to play somewhere else. Then you're able to change the schedule without, you know, it's already been public, and then trying to redo
0: the whole thing. All right. Last thing as we let you go here, Bobby. I appreciate you taking time and hanging out with us for a bit. Uh, you know, we're always sitting here now. We're looking at you know it's the NL Central versus the AL Central, and you know, ten ten matchups against uh, NL Central opponents. What, where do you see? I mean, the Reds over uh, the over under on their win total was thirty one and a half. How good is this team? I, I feel like I'm being a homer when I look at the pitching and I look at the bullpen, I look at the the depth in the lineup. I keep I think I'm overconfident as far as I'm concerned. Just how confident are you in this unit?
3: I think I think you can be confident in this team. I mean, the offense should be a lot better. I mean, it can't be worse than it was last year. The starting pitching, I mean, they're going to give you a chance to win every day. The bullpen's the one area where I, there's a little bit of concern. I mean, it's just it was a, they were okay in the bullpen last year. They didn't really upgrade. They added Pedro Strop, but that was really the only addition. And in the sixty-game season, I mean, the bullpen any bullpen implosion is going to look terrible. Um, Obviously, you know, they had Bricell Glaces who lost 12 games last year. It'll be better, but it's one of those things where if if you knew it was going to be a 60-game season, I I bet they would have tried to address it a little bit more and added at least another arm for the back end of the bullpen.
0: The trade deadline is still there, obviously, for this shortened season. Does that increase the chances of a Francisco Lindor being traded from Cleveland? And uh, does that increase the urgency for the Reds to try to get a deal done? And that's my last question on that.
3: I think if, if, if you could guarantee you'd be able to finish the entire season, I bet they'd consider the option of trading for Lindor. I mean, obviously, they'd love to have him. Obviously, the shortstop is still, you know, it would be his for the taking if, you want, if they could acquire him. Uh, but your problem is, you know, you, you don't want to trade, you know, a few top prospects, you get Lindor. And then your season's wiped away because of the coronavirus, and then he's a free agent after the 2021 season.
0: What about Trevor Bauer? Is Trevor Bauer I, uh, a piece that I think it's all going to depend on where the Reds are at within the standings at this time? But is he a guy that they're looking to be married to long-term, uh, or is this a thing that they're going to wait and see and gauge the, gauge the uh, temperature of the room, no pun intended, when you get to the deadline?
3: Uh, well, he, he said he only wants to sign one-year contracts in his career. And, you know, it's something that he's kind of stuck to. He hasn't really deviated from. So he, I, I think his plan is to reach free agency. You know, if the Reds were way out of it and they started 1-10, in 10, I'm not sure they would look to trade him. I just don't know what you'd get back for him, you know, if any teams would have that much interest in the shortened season. Uh, but, you know, he's a guy that if, if things go well with the Reds this year, I
0: could see him re-signing. If they don't, you know, he's, He's going kind to of help her grab the highest bidder. All right, this will be it. I apologize. I wanted to make sure I get this in media. Is media a lot of these games? If so, will you be at, will you be covering the Reds at Great American Ballpark?
3: I will be, but we're only allowed to be in the press box. So
0: all our interviews will be over
3: Zoom. Um, you know, even even in preseason workouts, we're only going to be allowed in the press box. So. It'll be a little bit different because we'll be, you know, trying to judge bullpens from a 1,000 yards away uh, <laughs> compared to having a chance to watch them from up
0: close. All right. Well, Bobby Nightingale, good enough to join us, covers the Cincinnati Reds for the Cincinnati Enquirer. Bobby, thank you so much for taking time and hanging out with us today. Much appreciated. Yeah, thanks again. All right. again, uh, Bobby Nightingale. Again, we'll have that interview up on the website at wingam.com dot com immediately following the show uh, here today. But some interesting stuff there too about the DH, as far as that's concerned. I don't think it's going to be a set DH every day. I think it's going to be matchup bases. You just heard him talk about uh, pitching base, but the Francisco endured thing. Keep an eye on that, Kev. I know you you, you hate that, <laughs> but, but I don't he, like that. Man. He's not, not going to be an Indian moving forward. So it's just one of those things where you know he's going to be on the go, right? And if you're the, you know, but I'm trying to decide if. The shortened season increases the chances of the Indians moving on from him at this deadline, or if it lessens the chances of them And by lessens, I mean does that scare other teams away from making a move? Right. If you're the Cincinnati Reds, you got to decide, okay, you just spent a ton of money this past offseason. If you pull the trigger on this move and you acquire Francisco Lindor, you got to have a plan for him after. You took a chance on Trevor Bauer last year which that trade for last year was not about putting the Reds back in the playoff hunt for the second half of the season. I think that they were looking at that as, hey, if we get Trevor Bauer and and we start making some... You know, changes and we start winning some games and we find ourselves in the playoff hunt in the second half of last year, then great. But that move was made for this year. The problem is, is the season doesn't start to the end of July. Right. 60 games sprint to the finish line. You don't, and service time counts the same. So Trevor Bauer, it's, that's why they're going all in this year. If they're in position where they can jump out and take control of the NL Central, I think if you're the Reds, even if it means giving up some key prospects to get Francisco Lindor for what is already a shortened season. Just because it's a shortened season doesn't mean that it changes your end goal of winning a World Series. If anything, that makes it easier. Right. You get rid of a couple of prospects, you get a Francisco Lindor. maybe you win the NL Central, maybe you go on a deep playoff run, maybe you find yourself in the World Series. To me, it's worth it, even the risk of potentially not being able to re-sign him and losing some key prospects. If I'm the Reds, I pull the trigger on that if they find themselves in position to do so. Maybe not now, but- before heading into camp. right? But let's say, you went, I think the deadline's in August. So let's say that you have a two-game lead in the NL Central. And then you get that Francisco Lindor, that two-game lead, you can maybe turn that into a four- or five-game lead, which is over with as far as the 60-game schedule's concerned. Do it. They have to do it. Um, I get the risk of, you know, you might lose some key prospects and only get them for the playoff run, but that's why you play a full season to begin with. If I'm the Reds, I could seriously consider
1: it. I think it swings both ways. I think you're right. If the tribe, the Indians, are off to a poor start. I think that increases their chances to dealing. I think it would be a perfect opportunity for them to deal and be like, alright, we're gonna go ahead and trade them out, get what we can get, or fleece somebody, because they're gonna when they trade them, they're gonna ask for everything plus the world when they do trade them. But the impact on the team trading a big-time player like that isn't gonna be felt as much because it is a short season. And vice versa goes for the team trading for that player. That means they're going all in. And why, why wouldn't you go all-in on a shortened season? That means, in my eyes, that means you have a better chance of winning it all on a shortened season when you stockpile more talent. So it all depends on how both teams come out the gates. Because if both teams come out the gates good, well, basically it's really on the Indians. Because if they come out the gates good, why would you go ahead and give them up now? It's like, well, we're in it just like everybody else. So we might as well just ride it out until the off season because the off season is going to be here quicker than not. Just ride it out. But if they start out bad, you might as well dump them and trade them now so next season you have all these prospects to talk about for the upcoming season that you don't have to have that hanger over your head for a full-length season next season. So for me, it's all about how the Indians come out the gates. Do they come out firing all cylinders, looking like they can make a deep run? If If they do, keep them. If they don't, trade them to the highest bidder. If the highest bidder is the
0: Reds, so be it. Well, we've seen the Indians make a tough decision in the past when their team's in contention. They traded Trevor Bauer last year. Mm-hmm. He still won 90-plus games. Um, still were one of the top teams in baseball, but we'll see what's going to happen. Um, there's nothing normal about this season. 60 right. games, everything is just going to feel different. The trade deadline will not feel... There's going to be more teams. Like, that's why this trade deadline might be the most entertaining trade deadline of them all, because there's going to be so many more teams in it. Now, that might kill the deadline. Because there's so many teams in it, they might not be as eager to trade away their key pieces. Uh, I don't know if that's going to help or not. You know, There's going to be a lot of players teams that are going to say, man, we need to make a big splash at the deadline. But the splashes are going to be few, far and few between, maybe. if Because there's a lot more teams in contention, there might be less teams willing to move on from one of their stars because they feel like you just talked about, we have a chance, let's just take a chance and see what we can do this offseason. So-
4: Home Depot is cooking up new ways to start summer here and bring summer home. From online ordering to free delivery and convenience store pickup, we're helping make sure taking care of your summer projects is a breeze. And summer savings on all your favorite brands make things even easier. So freshen up the deck, fire up the grill, summer's here, and it's as close as your own backyard. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.
1: It's Macy's July 4th sale with 20 to 65% off furniture and mattresses during our lowest prices of the season. Upgrade your outdoor space for all those summer days with the Terra Sofa, just $749. Have the perfect place to hang out indoors.
2: Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Back to the famous W I-N-G Studios. Here's Justin Kinner and Kev Nash.
0: I don't know about you. I want football no matter what. But I will say this. If it means not having football in August, in September, in October, November, and December, if we don't have football by December, folks, I know this sounds crazy. I just don't want football because I don't want football in the spring. I think that's dumb. By the time you get to December, you've already kind of you know, geared up for basketball to a certain extent. And there's a lot of you that don't really care about basketball, and that's fine. But you head into January. All right, you're kind of you know, you're coming out of the Christmas spirit, and we all know that the Christmas spirit sounds nice, but honestly, you always just feel depressed, and you just feel down, and family makes you miserable, and right? like you, you're so. I mean, after Christmas, it's like ugh, just I need to be by myself for a little bit. Like you, you, you're not focused on football, you're not focused on basketball, you're not focused on anything. I don't want football in the winter, I don't want football in the spring, I just want football in the fall, and if it doesn't happen, I'd rather it just not happen. I'd rather it not happen at all. If it's not going to happen in the fall, don't have it at all. I'm seeing reports that the NFL is is, is scrapping weeks one and four of the preseason so that technically gives that extra week of preparation. That's great. Actually, that is smart. I mean, I would hate – you know how ticked off I would be? I would scrap all preseason games, by the way, not one. I wouldn't have one preseason game if I'm the NFL. If I'm the NFL, I scrap the entire preseason slate. Teams, their very first game out on the field – is their very first game out on the field. That's fine. Tough it up. College teams do it. High school teams do it. Now, sure, they're gonna have scrimmages, which are the same thing as preseason games, don't get me wrong, but this is just one of those things that it's it's part of these sacrifices that are gonna to have to be made during a playing during a pandemic. If you're the NFL, if you are college football, there's sacrifices you are going to have to make and sacrifices that are just kind of dumb to make. For instance, the NBA. I think it's great that they did everything in their power to get a season going, but the fact is when you really think about it, when you think about the fact that the NBA, a potential Game 7 can fall on October 11th and players are going to begin returning to camp for 2020, 2021, they're going to begin returning to camp a month later. Nick, that's crazy to me. That doesn't make sense. So, yes, you sacrifice some things, but you got to do it in a window that makes sense. The NBA, that doesn't make any sense. But they're doing it. And the selfish part of me is like, thank the Lord, just give me some basketball to watch, right? Like, that's kind of where I'm at as far as that's concerned. But football, if football's not going to kick off in the fall, I don't want it at all. I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but that's kind of where we're at right now. If it's not going to kick off in the fall, I don't want it in the spring. Now I'm saying this a day after saying that I'm all for non-power five football kicking off in the spring. I think it makes sense for them. You're not going. To, no matter what you do in the fall, it's not like you're going to find yourself in a situation where you're playing to get into the college football playoff. Very rarely are you in a situation where anyone in your non-power five conferences are ranked in the top twenty five. It happens. You know, a little bit more than slight, than slightly, but I mean, you know, it it's not it doesn't happen enough to the point to where you justify making all non-power fives play in the fall, play in the spring, win your conference championship, end your season. You know what I mean? Like play play a conference championship game. Do everything you got to do to end it with a good team winning a conference championship and ending the season on a high note. There's no reason to try to run with the big boys in the fall when you must most likely you're going to get in the way, folks. How many of you are going to be pissed if? The season starts and Ohio State gets three games into the fall, but it's going to be an Ivy League school that gets a virus outbreak that's going to take all of college football out altogether. That sounds elitist. I get it. But, man, I would hate for a non-Power 5 outbreak to be what pulls football from everybody. And, by the way... It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't go after non-Power 5 co- schools. It doesn't go after Power 5 schools. It goes after everybody. It doesn't care. We as fans care about Power 5 versus non-Power 5. The virus doesn't care. It's going to go after everybody. But my point is, is let's say we get a couple weeks into the season and things are rolling, and then a couple no-name schools, a couple winless schools all of a sudden get this virus, and then the, every, it ruins it for everybody else. That sounds horrible of me to say, but that, that's the situation you find yourself in. Just take the spring football or move move the non power five to spring. So the Penn State athletic director with Heather Dinich on ESPN, you know, with ESPN's Heather Dinich, saying that the the idea of spring football season is a last resort. That's not any resort. Kick off in the fall or not at all, and don't delay the season. You and I've said this a million times. I am going to continue to say this. Delaying delaying the season means nothing. It means it means absolutely nothing. You don't accomplish anything with delaying the season. Cutting two preseason games, if you are the NFL, that makes sense because what you are doing is is you are not delaying the season. You are just eliminating two pointless games that could spread the virus throughout a team and knock them out before you could even get to week one. This is why I don't want any preseason games. I don't. You know, if you are going to knock out the Hall of Fame game because it's a pointless game, now you're trying to convince me that preseason has meaningful games. I know that there is a lot that teams get out of preseason. There's a lot of roster adjustments that are made throughout the preseason. I get all of that. However, however, again, you are going to risk a virus stopping the season because you needed to figure out who your fourth string punter is going to be. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's necessary at all. Make adjustments, make sacrifices. But when you know, as far as college football goes, when I hear Penn State's athletic director coming out and saying things like "oh, moving," you know, the idea of spring football, this, you know, moving the season uh, to spring is a last resort. I disagree. I disagree. It's it's not a resort at all. It's it is absolutely not a result at all, in my opinion. But four five seven. 9464. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can do so now. Kev will join us coming up here shortly. You can also take advantage of the ESPN Dayton fan hotline. The said that football season, pushing it back to the spring, is a last-case scenario. I'm arguing that it is not a scenario whatsoever. However, would you be okay with Ohio State kicking off in the spring? I'm going to tell you right now, no, you should not be. Because if you do, you're done with Justin Fields. Clemson fans, you won't see Trevor Lawrence everyone else is going to be bolting for the nfl uh kev's not in to get the call so i'm going to bring you on the old-fashioned way caller what's up what's your name hey, it's john from kettering how you doing uh there call are you there yeah i'm here
5: uh, john from kettering how you doing
0: oh there we go my fault i had the wrong button in play repeat your name again i apologize uh, this is john from kettering how you doing there uh john i'm good man i appreciate the call what you got for us today
5: well, I was going to say uh, about uh, canceling all the preseason games, you can't do that. I mean, at the most, I could see like doing scrimmages, of you know, controlled scrimmages like they do like on Hard Knocks where you bring in two teams to play together and uh, do that. But you can't have no preseason games or at least no scrimmages because you got to at least make adjustments on the fly. You know, even if it's condensed, you do two or three uh, preseason or uh, scrimmages with other teams because you gotta see the live action it's part of uh, the game just as much as you know uh... any uh... uh... regular season game or else you know you're not going to be able to make uh, the proper uh... get in the football shape that you have
0: well, I, I get that but couldn't you do that with that i mean and this isn't a best case scenario for every season but for this scenario I, I mean inner squad scrimmages i mean there has to be ways i would feel more comfortable with my team just figuring everything out through inter squad scrimmages because I don't. Oh, want I would too. I, I mean, that's, like
5: that's, that's fine. Up. That's fine. I mean, inter squad scrimmages. That's fine. But the problem is, is you need to test that with uh, other squads too, and even if you're doing it from a regional perspective, like let's say if you you know you're the uh, Browns and uh, you're playing the uh, and you're playing the Bengals or or the Lions. Um, or the Bengals and they're playing the Titans or whatever it is. It's got to be close proximity or whatever the region is. Um, you just got to put yourself in a situation where it's safe, but it's still got to happen. And uh, the reason it needs to happen is so you can make those in-game adjustments. I mean, those adjustments are important because of reps and because of guys and, and uh, that need to get opportunities to play it just goes along with football.
0: So... Is this, I, I is, is this just a stalling tactic, ultimately? I mean, is there going to be I don't football?
6: Think, I
5: think... I think there will be an attempt to do football, and I think the only way that there's not football is if, like, a major star gets really sick. So, if you see, like, an Aaron Rodgers or uh, even, like, uh, um, uh, a Tom Brady get really sick, then you won't have football. But if you have a... Uh, uh, some players, you know, get test positive, and then some role players come in and take in the roles. I don't think they'll I don't think there'll be a delay, and I think they'll continue the season. That's yeah. what I see,
0: and, and that's a, that's a good point. I, I, I don't think it's going to be a star player situation. I mean, if you look. I mean, the NBA, when Kevin Durant got sick, that right away should have been for them. Oh, man, Kevin Durant's sick. We should just call the whole season. Now, let's see. This, that's the difference, though, between a, an all-star and a superstar. If LeBron James would have got sick, now that's completely different. Maybe they have a different reaction. Um, right. But it'll be interesting to see You know how the NFL handles it versus the NBA. The NBA... I mean, the fact that Kevin Durant has I think he's the biggest name athlete that's had it. And, and, I, and I could be wrong on that. I think he's the biggest name athlete that's had uh, the coronavirus. It's been a while since he's had it, so people have forgotten about it. Um, but you bring up a good point. Sometimes I think the shock and awe of who gets it versus how many gets it sometimes can play a factor in this as well.
5: I agree. All right, you guys have a good day. And uh, if it's just you and the station, you know, hunker down and uh, have a good day
0: at the fart. All right. Okay. Take care, man. I appreciate the call. Uh, 457-9464. The NFL, again, opting to just cut two of the preseason games, One, the first preseason and the fourth preseason. And here's the deal. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. I have no problem with them doing that. That is not necessarily them delaying the season. However, that is them. It's risk management. All right. You know, there's no point in having four preseason games because let's be clear. There's a lot of people that doubt that you're going to get through the first four weeks of the regular season without a potential risk of a stoppage in play. Because if this thing is spreading at the rate that it is right now, even me, who is trying to be as positive as I can be about this, even me right now, even me, I'm like, man, I have a hard time buying into this virus not just spreading from roster to roster to roster in the first four weeks of the season. So if I'm doubting that they can get through the first four weeks of the regular season without the the virus spreading, I definitely don't want to take chances in the preseason. I know the importance of preseason. I know why the players need to be out there going up against different defenses. They need to provide different looks because they're evaluating talent and they're trying to fill out a full roster. I completely get it. But again, I don't want to risk my roster having a huge outbreak of the virus because I needed to figure out who the hell my fourth freaking string punter is going to be. I don't give a rip about that, and I don't want that to be why a team ends up getting sick in week two of the preseason, and then that delays or potentially puts a stop to the regular season. Not saying you can't catch it in the regular season, but my goodness, let's at least get to the regular season. Let's let, you know... If if the season's going to crash, at least let it crash in the middle of the regular season. Don't let the preseason be the last memory we have of football in 2020. Hour two in the books, hour three coming up next. Justin Kenner with you here. Excited again! We announced this yesterday. The TBT on WING. We're going to be carrying all Red Scare Dayton Flyers alumni games right here on fourteen ten ESPN Radio, and that includes their very first matchup next week, July eighth, a two p.m. tip off. Myself and Norm Greavy, we will have the call. Excited to call some Dayton Flyers alumni Red Scare basketball in the basketball tournament. So we'll have more information for you as the days go on. Hour three coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Dayton's ESPN Radio Station, 1410 Wing AM. A lot to still get into here in this third and final hour. Just a reminder, an announcement here. Brooke Moore with WDTN tweets out that Mayor Nan Whaley has announced that beginning Friday at 8 a.m. an ordinance goes into effect in Dayton, requiring people to wear masks at places like grocery stores, libraries, retail stores, bars, restaurants, in public transportation, you will face a fine if you do not comply. So, I'm uh, just pushing that info out for you. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, and you are now officially aware, uh, that beginning Friday morning at 8 a.m., an ordinance goes into effect that, here in Dayton at least, requiring everyone to wear masks at places like grocery stores, libraries, retail stores, bars, restaurants, and public transportation. Well, I know what this means. I'm never, I guess I'm not going to the library anymore. I don't go to library, anyways. So I'm fine there. But yeah, you got to wear your mask. I don't think people are going to take too kindly to this, but uh, <laughs> I just sit back and enjoy the Facebook comments and I'm just like, you got to be kidding. People get so angry about this stuff, but regardless, man, the, the more we do to get rid of this thing, the quicker we can get rid of it and the quicker we can just get back to life as normal, man. Whatever that new normal is going to be, but holy smokes, but just keep that in mind as far as that's concerned. But you, so you got to wear a mask going into. It. We're close in baseball. We now know when. I mean, today players are reporting to camp. We now know opening day will be July 23rd or 24th. Okay, we know that the NBA is coming back at the end of the month. The NFL. I mean, it was announced that they're supposed to open up camp on time. So it's like right now those are the plans, but until I actually see a team out on the field, um, that, that's going to be my concern. Until I see that, I'm not going to have confidence that we're going to be able to get to that point. But I do believe once a season starts in any pro sport that we will be, I shouldn't say fine, but I think sports will be okay. I think once you see someone else do it, it's easier to replicate it, and we'll see what happens. But again, Division Three Grinnell cancels football and all of their fall sports over the coronavirus Concerns. On to the next one. How about UConn officially rejoining the Big East after a seven-year absence? They were previously in the Big East from 1979 to 2013. Um, obviously a part of the American Conference uh, leaving after last season. The Huskies are now the 11th member of the Big East. A 12th member coming soon. Conferences don't like odd amounts could potentially be that 12th member in the Big East. I mean, I know that, you know, every time the Big East gets mentioned, certain chunk of Flyer fans like to jump all over that. I'm not against it. I think it's a long shot, but who knows? You never know what could happen. You look at the success of the program for UD, not just last season, but over the span, especially of this last decade, a, a program that's rich in history and success. Can't sit there and say that there's not a path to get there, but there's a lot of loopholes, there's a lot of, uh, of potholes that they would have to kind of bounce over to be able to get there. So we'll see what happens with that, as far as that's concerned. The Orlando bubble that the NBA 2019-2020 season will be wrapping up in is going to cost the NBA more than 150 million dollars. I mean, that is insane. So 150 million dollars for three months. and All right, that 150 million dollars is going to cover. Uh, the housing for 22 teams plus support staff at three different resorts. They have over seven practice courts and facilities that players are going to be utilizing in their teams and they will be playing games across three different arenas. I mean, $150 million for three months of basketball just to crown a champion, call it a season, and then a month later open up camp for 2020, 2021. Man, we know that things are weird during this coronavirus pandemic, but this it doesn't get any weirder than this one. The NBA has done a fantastic job of, of creating as safe an environment as possible to be able to allow the players to finish their season. But this is going to be interesting. But $150 million, that's what it's going to cost the NBA to run the Orlando bubble for three months. How about this? More NBA news. Pelican star Zion Williams is one of three different players to grace the NBA 2K21 cover. He is the cover athlete for the Next Generation Systems, PlayStation 5, and Xbox Series X. The third player is going to be announced on Thursday look we only got to watch zion play for half of a half a season like he didn't play the first half Uh, we just got a glimpse of what he's capable of over the last month and a half before covid shut things down back in march we're definitely not overreacting i know the kid's super talented i know he's going to be a star in the league but is he face of the video game level yet is he there yet the nba is desperate to find that next star And uh, I think that, you know, with LeBron James, 17 years in the league, I don't think he's anywhere close to being done. And what I mean by that is I still think he has two to three years left. But they're still looking for that next guy that's going to take over. I mean, look, while Kobe was still dominating the league, LeBron had emerged as a star. But the NBA knew that when Kobe left the game that they would be in good hands as LeBron was the face of the league. When LeBron calls it quits, I don't know who the face of the NBA is. All right, it's not Kevin Durant. Some might say it is. I don't look at Kevin Durant as the face of the NBA. I Maybe Steph Curry, not James Harden. Giannis Antetokounmpo might make, win his second straight MVP coming up. I don't know. Whoever the face of the NBA is, it's not an easy choice. The NBA has definitely benefited over the last 20, 30 years of knowing that next man up or who that next guy up is going to be. All right, you knew after Larry Bird it was going to be Magic, and after Magic it was going to be Michael. After Michael, uh, you know, you, you were in good hands with Kobe slash Shaq, but more so Kobe, and then Kobe to LeBron. Right now, LeBron leaves. I don't know who that next guy is, but it's obvious that after one year, not even one full year in the league, not even one full half season in the league, the NBA is looking at Zion as the next face that runs the place, and they're putting a lot of confidence and faith into the marketability of Zion Williams. Interesting as far as that goes. And last but not least here on the Justin Kinner Show top headlines, Mac Brown one-ups Ryan Day and the Buckeyes. How about this? We all talk about the Buckeyes being DBU, uh, but North Carolina and Mac Brown, they land cornerback Tony Grimes, who was ESPN's number six prospect. This is the Tar Heels' second five-star commitment to the class of 2021. Grimes picked North Carolina over Ohio State, Georgia, and Texas A&M. Picking him over Texas A and M is not shocking. Picking him over Georgia, it's a little shocking because it is North Carolina. But the fact that North Carolina and Mac Brown that they were able to go in there and swoop in and compete against Ryan Day and Ohio State and DBU and and convince Tony Grimes to come play at North Carolina, a, a school that doesn't have a brand rich in football, good for Mac Brown. I tell you what, I'm not a North Carolina football fan, but I am a Mac Brown fan. And I can't tell you how impressed I am with the job that at his age, with everything working against folks his age right now because of the restrictions with the coronavirus and everything, that man is getting it done. He is absolutely getting it done. And uh, we'll see. I don't think it's going to – I don't know how good North Carolina is going to be this year, but he has set this program up to kind of take that next step over the next couple of seasons. Look out for North Carolina because I keep looking at the ACC and trying to figure out who exactly is going to contend with Clemson over the next couple of years. It doesn't look good. There's no one else that's really stepping up. Depending on how long Mac Brown stays the head coach of the Tar Heels, it could be North Carolina that could end up being that 1A and 1B type of situation. They have a long way to go. It's still Clemson's division uh, in conference, but man, good for Mac Brown and good for the Tar Heels. And that is the Justin Kinner Show Top Headlines. Back to
2: the Justin Kinner Show on 1410 ESPN Radio and on the stream at wingam.com.
6: All
0: right, and we are back, everybody. How are you? Justin Kinner with you here on 1410 ESPN radio. Kev will be back with us coming up in just a little bit. Again, we just had the Justin Kinner show top headlines. NFL knocking out preseason games as they should. Again, as we're getting closer and closer to that season, you're starting to notice a little bit of the changes. I've said before, I'm just not going to be as forgiving of the NFL if they make mistakes along the way or if they you know what I mean by that is is for instance this is a situation where you, you've had since March, since the NFL draft, even in April, for the NFL to know that, hey, some of these things are going to be potentially a little iffy uh, due to the coronavirus. Uh, and I think that's what's going to be something to keep an eye on is that I thought that the NFL would be fine because they had so much time to prepare. They should have a scenario A, B, and C as far as that is concerned. But if money, and, and again, I can't blame anyone for money being the ultimate driving force here, but if money is the only thing that the NFL cares about, that's why you're going to see, regardless of how much this virus is spreading, that's why you're going to see them force fans into games. And, again, a lot of you are saying, no one has to force me. I'm willingly wanting to go into games. But sometimes businesses have to protect you from yourself, and that's the NFL. But the NFL is not going to protect you against yourself in an effort to take money out of their own pocket. I'm not saying that there's no chance that you won't see fans uh, at games, but it's, they're doing everything that they can to make sure that you know, they're trying to just you know status quo. They're trying to – you know things are normal. The NFL's trying to operate as if everything's normal. Now, they have canceled the Hall of Fame game. Cowboys-Steelers, they canceled the Hall of Fame game. They've already knocked out preseason games one and four. So that takes away two more potential games that an outbreak could occur, passing it between one team and another. I think that's important. Like I said earlier in the show, my biggest concern is is I don't know if, you know, if Cap was here we're doing our over-under. The over/under of the league getting through the first four games, of the, you know, over/under the league getting through the first four games of the season without stoppage of play. <laughs> That's my over/under to you, the listeners. In fact, four five seven nine four six four, or you could text your answers into the ESPN Dayton Fan Hotline. I'll tell you what, we're still going to have. You know, I'm going to do this for Kev. We're going to give Kev's segment life here.
2: Kev Nash brings you over
0: under. Now Kev Nash ain't here today, and that's totally fine. But Kev Nash normally brings us our over under. But I want I want to get you, the listeners, involved on this one. I'm curious your thoughts over under the NFL getting over under four. The NFL getting through the first four games of the season without a stoppage in play. We're doing this the old fashioned way. Caller, what's your name? Hey, it's Chicken Chuck. Justin, how Chicken are you? Chicken Chuck, what's up, man? How are you? Well, come on, brother. How are you? Another day in paradise. Over under <laughs> four games without stoppage in play the first four weeks of the regular season.
5: Man, I'll take the under. But uh, that's why I was calling you. Is uh, I think the NFL's in an in internal struggle that you cannot believe between marketing, which is political correctness,
0: and money, and trying to. You know, those two married, tough, tough. Nope. You're cutting in and out. You still there? I'm still here, man. Can you there, hear me? There we go. That's better. Keep going. I'm sorry.
5: I said I think the uh, NFL struggling with an internal struggle between marketing, which is political correctness, what's going to, you know, carry the day marketing-wise and money-wise. I think fans come in number three on their list
0: you know. And to be honest, I mean let's—I mean, if you look at other businesses, I mean again because we keep looking at the NFL as this game but it's its a business and it's no different than any other business out there. We're not saying businesses don't care about the customers and about the people but the, what businesses do is they adapt and they put social distancing protocols in place that's what the NFL's going to do that's why I thought it was kind of foolish of the Major League Baseball just to say, hey, straight up, we're not going to have any fans whatsoever. You can have fans, you just got to have a plan in place to get them in there safely just like the NFL's going to do. We'll see if they get that done, though. Yeah, I'll take it, man. So, anyway, good luck, brother. Have a good show, man. Nice talking to you. You, too. Appreciate the call. Take care. Later. All right, 457-9464 over under. Again, you could either text into the show or call into the show. Over under that the NFL gets through the first four weeks of the regular season without having a stoppage in play. Take advantage of the ESPN Dayton Fan Hotline.
2: ESPN Dayton Fan Hotline.
0: Text into the show again. This one's coming in from Mike. Mike texts the show saying, there's no way that the NFL even gets to week one of the NFL season. So your over-under is pointless. You can't go, you can't. Didn't even make sense, his text. He says you can't go under when there's not even gonna be the one. I think I get understand what he's trying to say. Basically, to sum up what Mike just texted in, there's no chance in hell he believes that there's going to be an NFL season. 457-9464-210-9676. That's the text line. If you want to text into the show, this one's coming from Eric. They're gonna take the under. There's that there's no way that they get past the first week or two without a without the virus spreading between you know between multiple teams. This one's in from I think his name's Tyler. Uh, yeah, his name's Tyler. Tyler says, absolutely they get past four. All they're gonna keep doing is what every other sport's gonna do. If you test positive, you sit out. If you you know, if you're not testing positive, you're fine. Okay, I see that too. The problem is, is in baseball, if you test positive. You're not as in close contact with a lot of your teammates and opponents as what you are in football. In football, if an offensive lineman gets it, holy smokes. If a defensive lineman gets it, holy smokes. How about a running back? How many guys are touching the running back? You know what I mean? Like the, the punter might be okay. All right. The quarterback, when today's NFL, the, the quarterback might be okay. But uh, yeah, this is what uh, I think it was a Tennessee Jeff yesterday that called in and mentioned. His concern is, okay, let's say that uh, it's Wisconsin, Ohio State versus Wisconsin, and Wisconsin says, hey, don't worry, Uh, we had three players test positive, but uh, they're not playing today, so you don't have to worry about that. However, they've probably already passed it amongst teammates and regardless of what your opinion is about the virus, you still have to respect the the protocol that's going to be put in place of how it's handled. A lot of my opinions don't have anything to do with whether I'm buying into the virus or not buying into the virus. It's my opinions are shaped basically around how schools and programs are going to operate based on when a positive test is comes into play. And that's going to be the conversation that a lot of teams are going to have. Football is going to be the, the one that's at a disadvantage there. That's why when you talk about when you're going to have your season – Look, bottom line is those who delay it—it's—it's it's ridiculous. You don't really delay it. You're only going to take. You're going to stop play right now and pick up with your with your play later on with the same problems. The virus isn't going anywhere anytime soon because the only way it's going to go anywhere is if a vaccine is ready, and a vaccine is not going to be ready for quite some time. Two one zero nine six seven six. And this one comes in from Gerald. He's going to take the over. There's going to be complications along the way, but the league will adapt. That's what the league has been doing this entire time anyways. Uh, I I could see that. Look, at the same time, I agree to a certain point that you adapt as time goes on because there's no blueprint to how to play during a pandemic right now, right? Like you can you mandate that your fans wear masks. You could have social distancing protocols in place. Every other seat, every other row, whatever that is. But as far as the athletes themselves down on the field, that's you're going to have to ask them to do their part. I said this the other day. I was like, I'm getting tired of, oh, the NBA's not doing enough to protect the players. The NFL, they got to do more to protect the players. Zeke, Zeke Elliott last week, Zeke Elliott, who's been ignoring social distancing protocols since they were put in place back in March, had the nerve to say that the NFL's not doing enough to protect the players. Are you kidding me? Even when rules are put into place, These athletes, some of them, and I'm using Zeke as an example, when safety protocol rules were put into place, Zeke ignored them. He went out and got the virus. All right, Now, that's not fair. I shouldn't say that he went out and got the virus. I don't know how he got the virus. I'm using the example of when they were on their stay-at-home order, and yet he's at this big house party with Dak Prescott. That's not a good look. That screams, I'm above the rules. I don't have to follow the rules. I'm Zeke Elliott. (laughs) What the hell is this little flu bug anyways, right? That's fine if you want to have that mentality, But when you have that mentality, you are not allowed to comment on what you think needs to be done for the safety and well-being of everyone around you because you don't care about everyone's safety and well-being around you because you've purposely ignored the safety protocols put in place to do that. That's why Zeke Elliott drives me nuts as far as that's concerned. But we're going to get to a point where, and this goes the same for college as well, where we're going to start saying, man, is Ohio State doing enough to keep these kids safe? They're doing enough to keep the kids safe as far as at their practice facility. All right. As far as during practice, during games, there's going to be a lot going on. New protocols will be put in place to protect the athletes or at least make it as safe as possible. But it, it's, I mean, Ryan Day can't babysit every one of them kids. All right, Kevin Stefanski can't follow every player on the Browns. Uh, You know, Zach Taylor can't follow every player on the Bengals around and say, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? What are you doing now? All right, you guys are leaving practice. You're going straight home, right? You're not going to stop at the gas station. You're not going to touch the gas pump. All right, you're not going to stop and get a cheeseburger. Make sure that the person who hands you your cheeseburger in that contactless delivery, wink, wink, make sure that that, that their hands are clean. There's so many areas outside of practice that is going to make these players vulnerable that it doesn't matter what the colleges and what the programs and what the leagues and what the teams and franchises are doing to keep these athletes safe, unless you are literally going to put them in a gigantic ass bubble like the, what the simulated bubble is for the NBA. You, there's no way around this. You know, I, first take this morning oh, the NFL's not, you know, Max Kellerman, the NFL's not doing enough. The, what else do you want them to do? because I really am curious. I don't think there's going to be high school football, but if there is, it's easy to say, "Oh, why isn't there as much positive test amongst high school athletes uh, than there is college athletes?" Well, I think that the difference is is for one, you're going to get right away, "Oh, well, you know, clearly you're not going to have as much testing at the high school level as you are college and the pros." That's true, but common sense would tell you that if there is sickness going around with the kids that there's going to be showing signs there's going to be kids with fevers there's going to be kids with coughs there's going to be kids who are you know being quarantined and sent home from practice and that's going to get around like i would assume that it's going to be the same in high school with these high school kids getting around one another prepping for sports and if not you got a question Why is it not as contagious amongst high school athletes as it seems to be with the pros in college? Like, are you a little surprised at all at how high the numbers are for the players in college that are are being testing positive as was the NFL? Isn't it kind of strange? Like, everyone's getting it, it seems. Absolutely everybody. And I'm not doing that whole, oh, I don't know anybody that has it, because I actually do. But the bottom line is, is at the rate that the athletes are testing positive with it, you would think that there would be a lot more normal people amongst our lives that are just picking it up left and right. What are these athletes doing that are putting themselves in the way of this virus that maybe a lot of us aren't? And a lot of us probably know people that have it or have had it ourselves and are not trying to disrespect those who have had it. It just seems weird to me that so many athletes are getting this. you know. And and that's the thing. That's what I'm concerned about. We're going to sit there and blame the leagues. We're going to blame the coaches, the owners, the GMs. We're going to blame the league as a whole, the commissioners. So you're not doing enough to keep these athletes safe. The athletes have a responsibility themselves, to themselves and to their teammates, to make the right decisions, too. That means not going out as much on the weekends as what you would like to. Whether you think it's dumb or not, whether you think the virus is made up or not, or whether you think it's being overblown or not, everything you do is going to impact not just yourself, but those around you. Hell, if you go out and be selfish and go out to a club amongst you know hundreds and hundreds of people, and then you get sick and bring it amongst your teammates, your selfish decision because you thought it was no big deal. Not only affects you, now you've passed it on to your teammates. Now your teammates are out weeks and they're losing paychecks. Okay? Because in the NFL, by the way, if you miss a game due to COVID, you lose that paycheck. You don't get a percent of that. You're just done. you don't get paid for that game. So if you have a veteran player who takes the virus seriously, who goes to practice and goes home. He follows the social distancing protocol rules. He wears a mask. He washes his hands every chance that he can get. He has hand sanitizer that he's applying between every play that he can think of. He's doing everything right. But some punk-ass kid, one of the rookies, oh, you know what? I'm going to go to the club every single weekend I'm going to do my own thing anything I want you know I don't care I'm not going to follow the rules of this because hey, I'm rich for the first time in my life, and I feel untouchable and I'm going to go do whatever I want to be around whoever I want, and it doesn't matter if I put myself in harm's way. but then the athlete, you know the veteran player that does the right things, he's going to catch it from the guy that doesn't. And now the veteran player who did all the right things all of a sudden is going to have to miss two to three weeks of football and miss two to three weeks of paychecks, and he's the one following the rules. There's too many moving pieces to this. And like I said, it's not all on the teams. It's not all on the coaches and the owners and 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 the NFL as a whole. The athletes, as human beings, have to take a responsibility themselves because I'm getting tired of we as normal folk being told, you need to wear a mask, you need to do this, you need to do that, and we're blamed for how... We act in public, or you know, don't act in public. But these athletes, it's oh, when they get sick or when they screw up, it's oh well, the the team's not doing enough to protect them, the league's not doing enough to protect them. No, they're just as responsible for themselves too. That social contract, they have one as well. They're not above that. More of the Justin Kenner Show when we come back. Don't go anywhere.
2: yo with Kev Nash. Famous WING studios. Here's Justin Kinner and Kev Nash.
0: Commissioner Rob Manfred appeared on the Dan Patrick Show earlier today, and uh, keep in mind, this is a guy that is going to be facing when this season wraps up. Like everyone thinks that the the ongoing battle between the Major League Baseball and the Players Association that didn't just wrap up because oh, they you know, you know, Rob Manfred exercised his right to just force the season we're screaming this all along that he was never acting in good faith, that they were never actually trying to put this in you know, to put this in a situation where there was a true negotiation going on. If the players would have negotiated, if they would have proposed 65 games, they would have still said no. Rob Manford just admitted it. Just admitted it. He may have just handed the union their case when that time comes. When this season's over. This is not going to be a good thing for Rob Manfred and the ownership, as far as that's concerned. This is a horrible look. I took the, now I didn't take the owner's side, but I was adamantly against the players. I thought that they were being uh, as spoiled and entitled and uh, tone deaf. I thought they were just as tone deaf and spoiled, and, and you know, as bad as the owners and Rob Manfred. But you know how much I'm, I'm really irritated right now with Rob Manfred and the owners because at the end of the day, we wasted so much time. Waiting for them to negotiate something that Rob Manfred from the very get-go said was never going to happen unless it was his way of 60 games or none. None. And I could defend that. And if he had to come out from the very beginning and said, listen, I don't want this negotiation to go on too long. Here's where we stand as far as this is concerned. From a health standpoint, playing during a pandemic, the only way we could play in 2020 is if we have a 60-game season. And if the Players Association cannot abide by that, then you know we're just going to have to pull the plug on the season. Many would still hate Rob Manfred. Many would still hate Major League Baseball for doing so. But I would respect that decision because it would make sense. When you're playing during a pandemic, this is no different than what we're going through right now with the NFL. They're cutting preseason games left and right. Now, I'm not comparing preseason games to NFL preseason games to regular season Major League Baseball games. But the principle behind the decisions for both are the same, and that is we need to limit the amount of time that our athletes are out on the field together because the least amount of times that they're out on the field together, the, we decrease the chances, uh, you know, and we hopefully lessen the amount of cases of positive cases. You're not going to eliminate the cases, but everything you do needs to be in good effort towards eliminating the risk as much as possible. Rob Manford should have come out from the very beginning and said this then. Back, you know, when the negotiations started, you know, back in what, early May? End of April, early May, the second that the negotiations started. This should have been clear. Guys, this is not this collective bargaining agreement. This is not going to be something that is stretched out over a month long. Here's why we want 60 games. It has to be 60 games. We're not going to waste your time or the fans' time throughout all of this. And I think although fans would have been mad, some fans could have at least understood where Rob Manfred was coming from. They're sure, there would have been that loud group of social media you know, pitchforks that would have gone after him. I get all of that. But at the end of the day... I agree with him that it should have been 60 games. I like 60 games during a pandemic-struck season. You don't need to play 100 games during a pandemic when you're just trying to get to the finish line so you could start the playoffs. It's ridiculous to play any more than that. The players only wanted to play more so they can get more money. The opposite was viewed by the owners. They wanted to play less games because every game that is played is money out of their pocket. They're losing money every game. The, players, the, the, the owners are losing money every game that is played without fans, and the players are losing money every game that's not played. So, of course, there was going to be a conflict right off the bat. The players wanted more games. More games means more money for them. The owners wanted less games. Less games means less money lost for them. Of course, there was going to be conflict from the very beginning. But I don't care about the players' or owners' money when it comes to doing what is best during a pandemic, which means I'm going to take the side of the guy who says we need to play less games to lessen the chance of spreading this virus. But I don't believe that that was actually his mindset, because if it was, he would have initiated that mindset from the very beginning. So when Rob Manfred goes on the Dan Patrick Show and says that the reality is we were never going to play more than 60 games, no matter how the negotiations with the players went... That's not, that's not a good look. That's a bad look. I mean, he's going to be a part of a bad faith grievance that he intentionally delayed negotiations, and he did. He just admitted it. He might have just handed the union their case, and I think he did. I think he screwed up. I don't think this is a good look for Rob Manford or Major League Baseball as far as this is concerned. But uh, again, that's something that's not going to come into effect until honestly well after the season, and we're hoping that Major League Baseball gets through it. We did a little over-under earlier in the show, over-under four games that the NFL's regular season gets to before the plug is pulled or before at least the stoppage in play comes into effect, whatever delay that might be. My thing is, I've been saying it from the beginning, you don't need to delay nothing. either start on time or don't start at all, because... You delaying it two weeks, the world doesn't become safer in two weeks. The virus doesn't become less, you know, contagious in two weeks. It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. So here in a couple weeks, uh, here in a couple weeks, here in a couple days, the uh, TBT, the basketball tournament, will tip off. And we are fortunate to be able to carry all of the games for the Dayton Flyers alumni team, the Red Scare, and the defending tournament champions, Carmen's crew, uh, led by Aaron Kraft, John Diebler, David Leidy, Dallas Lauderdale, and I know William Buford. I mean, that, that's a team that all played together in college, of course, with some other Buckeyes wrapped around them and some non Buckeyes in there. The Red Scare, uh, Kyle Davis, Daryl Davis. Uh, you know, this is a group that, you know, is going to be fun to watch. It's, obviously, they lost. Um, Kendall Pollard, which I'm not, a, you know, I hate that we're not going to be able to watch him play, but I'm trying to keep an eye on how these rosters are moving around because some are still adding players due to players being taken off rosters whether it is because they test positive or because they're not comfortable making the trip to Columbus. Whatever the reason is, teams have already reported to the bubble uh, and it's going to be fun keeping an eye on everything over the next couple weeks as far as that's concerned. Uh, But uh, One thing is for sure that we're going to be interviewing a lot of the players uh, for the Red Scare and Carmen's crew over the coming days leading in to next Wednesday's tip-off game for the the Red Scare and Carmen's crew uh, and then we're also going to have Thad Mata on next week I spoke with him today we're going to be having Thad Mata on next week to talk about you know the memories of coaching the guys that are you know going to be playing for Carmen's crew uh, so I'm excited about that as far as that's concerned plus we got Aaron Kraft lined up as well but 457-9464 uh, again no producer today so caller, just tell me your name what's up it's, uh, James
4: from Oakwood James from Oakwood what's up man how are you I'm doing great, my friend. So, uh, is Deshaun Pierre playing?
0: No, he is not. He was announced. Uh, he, he was announced a while back that he was joining the roster, but with everything going on right now, he will not be there. Kendall Pollard. When I spoke with him, uh, he said he was all gonna You know, he was all for it until they moved the dates of the tournament. It was originally supposed to be later. And um, and then uh,
4: there are, are there no fans?
0: No fans. No fans in the stands. Nope.
4: And then is it going to be broadcast?
0: Yes, it's going to be broadcast. It's going to be on ESPN, and it's going to, we're going to be broadcasting it here on our station.
4: It's going to be on ESPN, the main, the mothership.
0: Yes. That's great. No, I mean, it was, and, it was on ESPN last year. Last year they had Dan Donkich and Paul Keels calling the Carmen's Crew game uh, against the and, Red Scare. It was pretty cool. How many days is it? Uh, July 4th through the 14th. Uh, but but oh uh, This Carmen's, great. Yeah, Carmen's Crew and... Uh, The Red Scare have a couple round buys, so they won't be playing until July 8th. But if they win, like the Red Scare, so Norm Grevy and I, former Flyer, him and I will call the first game for the Red Scare. If they win, they'll go on to play the winner between Ohio State's Carmen's Crew and the winner of a previous game. So it could be Carmen's Crew versus Red Scare on July 10th right here on the station. So I'm pretty pumped.
4: Now, when you say Norm Grevy, I don't think you have to say the former Flyer. I think everyone knows. (laughs) Well, at least maybe the young kids don't, right?
0: Possibly, yes, Possibly. So
4: but we all know who he is. So that's going to be great, and you're going to be calling it. That's fabulous. Are you excited?
0: Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty yeah. pumped for it. I think it's going to be a blast. I'm just bummed that we can't be there. Uh, you know, the, the fans can't be there, but uh, it's going to be a good time regardless. And who's coaching? That I'm not sure for the Red Scare because last year, uh, they don't have the coach from last year, so I'm not really 100% sure. And I, I know that it's going to be Solinger uh, and uh, Evan Turner. For uh, Carmen's crew, but I'm not sure about That's the awesome. Flyers. So I know that Joey Gruden's the GM, so maybe he's uh, taking responsibility, taking the coaching responsibilities.
4: All right, last question. So, what, what are your thoughts about on um, these new recruits uh, for the Flyers and the new commits?
0: I was a little disappointed that there was not more activity for the Flyers considering the season that they had. I thought that because, you know, with all the attention they got on ESPN, uh, with everything that, you know, being on ESPN as much as they were, number three team in the country, Obi Toppin, in, you know, having game day here, they. I just thought that there was going to be an uptick in recruiting and an uptick in activity as far as transfers. But... With everything going on, of course, with the coronavirus, that's limiting travel, limiting campus visits. I think that obviously definitely put them behind the eight ball as far as that's concerned. Uh, Do
4: you think think Toppin's going to go to Cleveland or to Minneapolis?
0: I want him to go to the Golden State Warriors. I think that uh, that's where I would rather see him go. I I would like to see him go to the Golden State Warriors. I don't think that the Warriors are going to take him number one overall, though. Cleveland I was against, but, uh, again, that's a pretty close drive if you want to go watch him play there. So who knows what's going to happen?
4: And then you know my favorite would be if he ends up with the Bulls.
0: I don't want him in the Bulls. I don't know why. Why do you want him with the Bulls?
4: Because I lived in Chicago for you know, my whole Washington no, thing, twenty-two years. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm a, I went to one of each of the Bulls finals games in, in the stadium, and so a huge Bulls fan. And so that would be great. But Cleveland, yes, we could go watch him.
0: Yeah, and look, Drummond just signed an extension. There, it'd be kind of interesting. I mean, you got Drummond at the five, and and Obi at the four. You got Sexton running the one, and Garland. I mean, it's a young, it's a very young group with a veteran post presence. But uh, I still don't know what that does for the Cavs in the East. Obi's going to be good, but he needs to be in the right position as far as him not being the guy. If he goes to Cleveland, I don't want them to resort to him too much. I want him to go somewhere like Golden State, where everyone already has their established roles, and he would be able to just flourish by running the floor because no one's going to focus on him in a scouting report because you. You got clay thompson draymond green uh steph curry it's a long shot he ends up with the warriors but that would be the best case scenario or atlanta with trey young
4: i 100 agree with that role uh last thing i'll tell you is you've done a great job in such challenging times for sports uh events and sports news and uh, with limited content my friend you've done an amazing amazing job i give you a lot of credit
0: right, well thanks man i really appreciate that and i appreciate the call james call anytime Talk to you soon. Take care. All right, 457-9464. We only have a few minutes left. You can also text into the show using the ESPN Dayton Fan Hotline. Uh, Take advantage of that here. Again, we've had a lot of texts come in. I haven't got to all of them yet. I'll close out with a couple of those here in just a moment. Um, But, yeah, as far as that's concerned, I mean, look, the NBA draft – once the season starts, a lot of attention will turn towards the draft, and I'm just disappointed that it's not going to be your typical draft. I mean, I wanted to see Obi in attendance and, you know, when they call his name to see him walk on stage to take the hat to to get the picture and to get the ESPN moment. That's the only thing I'm disappointed the most about with this virus. I mean, there's a lot of things to be disappointed about when it comes to this virus, but I really wanted, you know, when things are normal, to see him be able to walk up on stage, take the hat, take the picture with the commissioner, everything along those lines, that's clearly going to be different now um, with everything going on. But uh, nonetheless, for me, the Golden State Warriors that would be fantastic if they ended up in a position to to grab him. If the Warriors get the number one overall pick, I don't see that happening though. I don't see Obi going number one, but he could easily go three, four, five, in that range. Either way, he has some teams that he could end up falling into a very good position. For one, I love the Atlanta or the, the Atlanta Hawks. I think that would be a unique opportunity for him as far as that's concerned, playing with Trey Young. Um, and who knows, as far as some of the other teams and situations, as far as that goes. That wraps it up for us here today. Again, make sure you download, subscribe, The Justin Kinner Show in your Apple iTunes, Google Play Store. Kev will be back with us tomorrow. We'll do some more over-under as well as Sign one, trade one, cut one. Uh, And then also, again, like I mentioned, we have Thad Mata coming on next week. Tom Brenneman going to join us tomorrow as we talk about prepping for returning to the Major League Baseball season. What does that mean for the media? We'll get to all of that with him tomorrow. So excited for tomorrow's show as well. Until tomorrow, this has been the Justin Kinner Show on 1410 ESPN Radio.